and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I have another album review for you guys. Um, I'm currently in the process of finishing up my book trilogy that I started in February of 2020. I've never taken this long to finish a project I had the intent of finishing, but this thing has been through a journey. I'll probably do a show about it uh, when it comes out, which I'm hoping will be uh, the first of the trilogy will probably come out in August or September. So uh, we're getting close, but more likely September, I think. Um, so that is pretty much what's going on with me at the moment. I've just been putting all my time into that so I can get that done and out there. And let's get to this week's album review. I'm really excited about this one. This is one of the only live albums that I actually listen to. People tell me all the time, oh, you got to hear this live album. You got to hear that live album. This is the best show the band ever did and whatever. Um, I'm not a big fan of live albums. And the reason is these shows are very much in the moment. You know, even, even bands that... It, well, I mean, if it's a band that sounds exactly the same every show, then it doesn't even really matter. But live experience is about being there. It's about the energy. It's about understanding why the tempo's where it is, why it's much faster, because you were all in the moment together and you felt that energy coming from the band and from being fed back through the crowd. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of listening to live music. Now, I am more inclined to watch a live video because at least I can get some element of that part of the experience. But still, even with that, it's not something I tend to do a whole lot. But in, in the case of this album and another one that I'm going to cover um, before too much longer, I probably I don't even actually I don't even know if it'll be this year, but I'll cover it anyway. Um, in the case of this album, it was one that I I heard very early on before I really started thinking about the live experience. I had never been to a concert, so I didn't know what it was really all about. I just knew that there's the band, how they sound in the studio, and there's the band, how they were live. I didn't even think about this is the band, how they were live on the particular night or nights that these tracks were recorded. You know, it was just like there's a studio band and there's a live band. And you figure, you know, live, they're playing in front of people. They're, you know, they're doing everything in one take. So it's whatever comes out, comes out. And you just have to be as good as you can be all the time. In the studio, you know, you got take after take after take. And you can make things sound pristine, more so nowadays than they could back then. But I mean, look at what the Beatles did with a four track. Pretty impressive. So you have a lot more that you can do in the studio and then live. It's just, hey, here's what we captured. Do we want to use this one or wait until tomorrow's show and use that? So this album is actually a compilation of different nights, but you can't tell because the way that they blended it together, it sounds like one night, one crowd, uh, very seamlessly done, which is not difficult to do. I don't know how difficult it would have been uh, when this came out in uh, 1977, but I can tell you, Today, it would not be a challenge at all to make one cohesive sounding live album. Um, you could you could just take all those tracks, add some crowd noise and do it in minutes with a couple of simple crossfades. So not a huge issue there, but uh, it does sound seamless. They did a great job. You really can't tell that this was done on different nights at all. I mean, the sound is very consistent. Um which is, is interesting because I don't know if all of the halls that they were playing in were consistent, but if they were recording directly into the board, um, it almost doesn't matter, you know, because they're not, they're, they're not recording necessarily the ambience of the theater as much as they are direct 
from the board into the recorder. So they're getting the direct instrument feed and then they can just add that ambience with maybe a couple extra mics or something later on. So it's all very simple, but I will say this is beautifully recorded, beautifully mixed and beautifully mastered. I love the sound of this album personally, you know, and again, because this was such an early influence album, I always have to preface this with maybe it's part nostalgia, but listening back with the with my engineer ears now, as opposed to when I didn't know anything about recordings as a kid, um, this album seriously holds up. It sounds absolutely fantastic. The balance is great. You can hear everybody maybe a little bit more bass, if, if anything at all. Um, but I, I think it's a very, very well done album. Uh, I love the sound of Cozy's drums. That kick really punches through. That snare has just got such a snap to it. Uh, Richie's guitar sounds fantastic as always. And even in the rhythm parts, you don't you don't miss him at all. He doesn't drop out. Uh, Tony Carey's keyboards are very strong. And uh, like I said, maybe a little bit of Jimmy Bain. Uh, but of course, you know, Ronnie's right out in front and sounds, you're not going to drown out the singer uh, if you're mixing an album, especially if you're, I think Martin Birch did this one. So especially if you're Martin Birch, you're not going to not allow the audience or the the listener to hear Ronnie James Dio. So uh, I will say that uh, if if I'm right, and if Martin did do this one, he did not do the live mix, like he wasn't at the concert mixing the concert, he would have been mixing the direct feed to the recording system uh, after the fact. So um, this is a really short collection of songs. There's like six songs on this whole thing, which is really amazing that it came out as a double LP. But some of the songs are pretty long. You know, um, we'll we'll get to that as we get to each song. But I, I don't know statistically if they could have fit it on one album. And it was just maybe more impressive to do a double live album. Um, I honestly don't know if they could have cut the grooves in a way to make that happen. Maybe the show would have been out of order. Maybe they were very specific about that. I don't know. In any case, uh, it doesn't seem like it's that long because I think it came out on a single CD. So, uh, of course, I don't know what the max time you could get on an LP was back then. And part of that had to do with the the track arrangement, right? Because if you have one song that's you know 28 minutes and your next song is 14 minutes maybe you can't get those on the same side but if you have a song that's 28 minutes and a song that's 4 minutes maybe you could get that on the same side so the arrangement you know it's just like what parts what's the maximum i can fit on each side of these albums so i don't know how they decided any of that all i know is the order really works well i think it flows nicely it would be a great show to attend with the, that level of now we're going to be more aggressive now we're going to back off it's like a really good ride for the audience Again, I have to say, again, the nostalgia thing is very possible that it's just because I'm so used to this because I've been listening to this since I was a kid that maybe I just am used to it and I have no real perception about the uh, the song order at all. Um, this is another album, much like Rainbow Rising, the last Rainbow album that I covered that reminds me very much of Christmas. I think we got this and rising around the same time. I believe it was the same Christmas that I'm thinking of that we uh, listened to both of these albums quite a bit. So uh, I'm going to I'm going to say that's probably the case and why they're both Christmas albums for me. Um, also, some Emerson, Lake and Palmer in there, some uh, maybe Deep Purple, the third album there, Deep Purple three, um, probably fireball too i want to say it is a great christmas because that was when you know we finally started to get a little bit of money we could we could buy some of these albums and got some as gifts and exchanged them uh, with each other as gifts my brother and i so our record collections were starting to grow by this point which is great and then of course 
when it came time for, you know, the family, like, what should we get the kids? And they would say, all right, we'll make us a list of things that you want. And of course, by this point, it was very little toys. It was mostly albums or 45s. And we did get quite a, a chunk of those for the holidays. So that really helped uh, also with our record collections. Uh, but in any case, these these are very much um, Christmas season songs for me. I know I'm kind of doing this one in um, in the summertime, but I, I want to uh, work through the catalog a little bit and I didn't want to wait until wintertime. And besides, winter in Las Vegas is not at all like winter was in Michigan when I was growing up. Um, I may have to wear a hat out sometimes when I go out for my walk in gloves um, and, and maybe some uh, like an extra layer of pants, um, like, you know, kind that you would go camping with or something. But uh, that's, that's about as cold as it gets here. It doesn't, it doesn't get Arctic like it did in Michigan, uh, by any means, even with the wind here, um, we can have some bitey nights, that's for sure, but it doesn't get too bad here. So let's get into the album. It opens with now, now, because these are such long songs, um, I have to figure out how I want to do this because I don't want to play the intros. The intros can be a lot of crowd noise, a lot of warm up, a lot of slow build into a song. Um, this one first opens up with some crowd noise and then we've got, uh, Judy Garland talking about, uh, it's, it's her clip from the, uh, the movie where she's talking about being over the rainbow and that's how they would open their shows. Um, so I'm not going to play that. I'm just going to play a little bit of the first actual song, uh, from Judy Garland. It goes into kill the King. And I never thought I would put those words together in that sentence before. So there's a couple interesting things about this. Um, this tour was following the last album I did, Rainbow Rising. Kill the King would not be released until Long Live Rock and Roll came out. And so it's interesting that they opened with a song that A, was not familiar to the audience and B, hadn't even been released yet. So I would imagine it was kind of weird for the audience to come out and go, hey, it's Rainbow. Wait, is it? because I don't know what this song is. Yeah, it sounds like Rainbow. That's Ronnie and Richie and everybody, but uh, I don't know this song. So that must have been really weird for audiences, but kind of cool because they're also getting uh, some insight into the next album. They're getting something that is just brand new they hadn't heard, but it's kind of weird to do that as an opener. I mean, you kind of want to do something that's at least a little bit familiar with people. I, I remember Ian Gillen talking about going to a Paul McCartney concert, and he said... Um, 
that Paul McCartney played almost his entire new album and hardly anything that Ian knew. And it was really disappointing because there wasn't a lot that was familiar. You want a good combination of things that are familiar and things that are new. You know, you do two or three tracks from your new album, you're doing good. And the rest is more familiar territory. Maybe it's a couple of covers you throw in there if you need it to, if you're a younger band and you need it to fill out some time. But, you know, you, you want a, a healthy balance of, of at least classics and new stuff. So it's kind of interesting that they would have played the song at all, let alone right off the bat. But it's a fantastic version of it. In fact, I think that what I've noticed before with songs like I talked about uh, with Man on the Silver Mountain, and we'll get to this more when we get to that song here. But uh, it, it's like the, the studio version was really mellow. And then the live version just came out. It was on fire. And I kind of feel like it's the same with this. I think that had they not been doing this live, most likely Kill the King would have been a more mellow song on Long Live Rock and Roll. And then the live version would have just, you know, taken it to another level. But instead, they were already doing it live. So they already had that energy. They already had the stage experience. They could have experimented with the song, perfected it, done all kinds of things that they didn't get a chance to do with some of the other songs. And that might be why it came out with such aggression on the Long Live Rock and Roll album, which I'll be, that'll be the next one that I review probably. Um, I say probably because sometimes I have to, may have to go out of order. So uh, yeah, it was an interesting choice. It, it, like I said, especially to start the concert, but it's a, it's just a, a, a great song for an opener though. I mean, it's got great energy to it. It's got great solos. It just drives the whole way. Wonderful vocal from Ronnie. A uh, very energetic performance from Cozy. Richie's just got an amazing solo. Uh, it, it's a killer version of this song. And uh, the album, I have to say, was not far behind this. I think I might still like this a little bit more, but I think I knew this song from Rainbow on Stage before I got Long Live Rock and Roll. I, I think of Long Live Rock and Roll as a spring album, and I want to say it was the spring following this year, because I'm pretty sure that Rising on Stage, Straight Between the Eyes, and Richie Blackmore's Rainbow were the first Rainbow albums that we got. So I don't think we got the other ones until, I mean, we, we got their catalog fairly quickly as we could, but those have been either the ones that we got right before Christmas, maybe holiday sales or something like that. Or, you know, maybe my brother and I gave one to each, you know, we gave it to each other as Christmas gifts, whatever. I don't remember that. But I do remember having those those four albums early on, like those were the first ones we got. So um, yeah, great stuff, man. Absolutely great. But I think that might be why I prefer this live version to the studio version. Although the studio version is absolutely killer. There is nothing wrong with it. it. It has a lot of great energy to it. But as I've talked about a lot of times, it's the first version you hear of a song that tends to be the one that, you know, others might be great. You might really enjoy them, but that seems to be the one that's like, this is my version of the song that I like the most. And so that very well could be because of, of this. I'm not sure, but uh, I really do like both versions and I'll talk more when I get into that one. So our next song is um, a little weird. It's it's a medley for the second song and uh, some Man on the Silver Mountain. Now, I have to say, again, um, you know, I don't know what the actual performance order of the stage show would have been. So I don't know if these songs were, again, just put together in this order so that they could maximize the album sides, which I don't think is the case because it would never have been a double album uh, unless they had to do something like that. But this is the way that they came out. So we're just going to pretend that this is the show in the way that you would have heard it and go from there. So here is a little bit of this. 
It's called A Man on the Silver Mountain, this one. Hey! So it goes into, from Man on the Silver Mountain, it goes into this blues jam, uh, which is pretty cool, but it's like, this is the second song. You're really bringing the energy down uh, to, to something almost kind of mellow, but there are some really cool parts in it. Then they go into Starstruck, uh, which is is cool. They do a good a good partial version of that, and then back into Man on the Silver Mountain. A uh, lot of great crowd work from Ronnie very energetic. You you could almost feel like everybody there would have felt like they were connecting with him personally. He was just that good working the crowd. Uh, and, and from what I've heard, uh, just a, an amazing guy. I really wish I'd had the chance to meet him. I only got to see him perform once. I don't even know what tour he was on, um, but it was uh, he was opening for the Scorpions and then Deep Purple Headline. That was in Phoenix at, uh, I think at the time it was called Cricket on the Hill. I don't know what it's called now. I think it's changed names a few times since then. But it was a cool little venue, you know, not a great idea to be outside in the summertime in Phoenix. But, uh, you know, you, you drink a lot of water or beer or whatever, and uh, you just you just make the best of it. Uh, cool show, though. It, it was great to see Dio perform live. He was so energetic, um, you know, and he had to be in his 60s, 50s, 60s by then, I think. Uh, but anyway, uh, just just an amazing performer. But uh, so it goes into the Blues Jam, then they go to Starstruck and then back into Man on the Silver Mountain to finish it. Uh, I have to say, I, I love this version of Man on the Silver Mountain. I think the original version was very much just a, a mellow studio song. I don't think it packed particularly a huge punch. I think kind of like Smoke on the Water, it was the live version that really made this song happen for me. I mean, I liked it. It was it was OK. I didn't dislike it, but once you hear this version, you're like, holy crap, look what this song can really do. You know, and again, like my King, Kill the King reference, like if they had been performing this live, but they just went into the studio and made an album, they hadn't been play, out playing shows. They were a brand new band. And this is in that album, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow was really recorded while Richie was still in Deep Purple. You know, they started just doing a couple singles and, and then just made an album because Richie was happy with how things were going. So it wasn't like they had just done a bunch of shows, had practiced these songs, like they just wrote them and recorded them. So these live versions then really bring out songs. And I think personally, I think it's great for a band when they're getting ready to record an album to to bring out new material and say, hey, here's a song we're working on. Uh, here's, you know, here's a, here's a song that's going to be on our next album and showcase it a little bit because that's when you really get to make those songs come alive. You know, when you're when you're just playing them without the worry of recording, you're not overthinking them, you're just playing them. 
And I think that you can find some interesting things that could potentially work in the studio and you could do some rewrites to make those songs spark a little bit more. Um, but especially these days, bands are just terrified of, of doing that because everybody's filming the show. Oh my God, we can't have this song out there on YouTube before it gets released. Absolutely you can. Your fans are going to still buy the, the single or buy the album anyway. It's not going to hurt your sales. It's going to actually get you more hits on those videos, which might bring you more fans because that video is now going to show up in more people's, hey, you might like this video kind of thing. And one of the top videos, actually my top video that's ever been viewed on YouTube, which is over 50,000 views, is a half hour interview that I did with the birds. If you're not the band, uh, the birds that were uh, the the, uh, the bailiff and the producer from Judge Judy, Petri Hawkins Bird. And it, it it's unfathomable to me that that has hit. But here's what happens. You get a little bit of traction. You know, some people are Googling something or something is happening with this person. So they they uh, do a YouTube search and they go, oh, OK, here's some interviews. My interview comes up more and more people see it because they, they're searching for what's going on with this person. And they were still doing the talk show circuit at the time. So they were going on some pretty major talk shows. They were getting 120,000 hits or whatever. And here's my little half hour interview with them. And, you know, the more that, that people were watching it, now it starts coming up in the main feed. Like if you have searched for you know anything related to them or you've watched a video for them, this comes up in videos you might like, then it just starts showing up in news feeds because the numbers are growing. It's getting traction and that just brings more traction. So it's like 52,000 and some views right now, which is is super cool. But, you know, that's almost one of the reasons that you'd want to release something that has a little bit of something different in it that when people find out about it, they're going to go check it out. You know, if you're a band that, you know, you get maybe five, 6,000 hits, but you've got 100,000 subscribers, something's really wrong there. Like you got to you got to give them something that they're going to want to say, oh, wait, I like these guys. What are they doing here? What's going on? What's this mysterious thing about this video? I want to see it. So I don't think it's a bad thing to do that, but a lot of people feel differently. And so they don't they don't do they don't showcase new material. Um, They don't uh, do anything at all. They're very, very secretive about their projects. So uh, it's it's just a different strategy. But I think in, in a case like this, uh, certainly the difference between the album version of Man on the Silver Mountain and the album version of Kill the King, um, I think this could have been a big reason why Kill the King came out with such fire on Long Live Rock and Roll, as opposed to the way that Man on the Silver Mountain came out on Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, which was a very mellow, very slow tempo song. You know, here... Cozy is on fire. I love that double bass part he plays at the at the chorus. I think that's so cool because he's just playing the, the regular beat. Then he builds it up with quarter notes on the bass. Then he does the double bass thing, then goes back to the main beat again. I really love that. He was not the drummer on the original. I have a feeling had Cozy been in the band when they recorded Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, he might have said, we need to, to make this more up-tempo or we need to put some more power into this. I, I really think... That's the kind of drummer he was. I think he would have done that. But in any case, he wasn't on that album. So we have the version we have, which I like very much. But this live version uh, just really packs a punch. So this is a great one. It's uh, a little over 11 minutes. So like I said, though, you've got, you know, three different songs in here. You've got some Ronnie work in the crowd. So it's it's got a lot in it. It's not one where you're like, okay, let's get on with it or whatever. I mean, it's actually a really interesting 11 minutes and, and very, very well worth listening to. Um, so now that we had the up of Man on the Silver Mountain, the down on the Blues Jam, the up on Starstruck and the, the return of Man on the Silver Mountain, 
Now we're going to mellow things out a little bit with a 15 and a half minute version of Catch the Rainbow, the song. This is just such a beautiful and emotional version of this. I love Richie's playing throughout the song. He adds so many just little colors and inflections of things that really bring about just a, a depth of the feeling of it. You know, it's it's like you could play notes that are kind of meaningless or you could play notes that draw people in. And I think he does a great job of just keeping it interesting. I mean, a 15 and a half minute live version. Again, this is one of those things I don't typically like about live versions. If I'm at the show and they're going to play a 15 minute version of a song, I'll probably be into it because I'm there. I'm with the crowd. I've got all the emotion. I've got all the energy, all that stuff. If I'm sitting at home and you're playing a 15 minute version of the song, it better be damn good for me to sit there and listen to the whole thing. Again, that's the difference of, of live music versus studio music or, or not being at the show and reproducing live music. It's one of the reasons I'm not big on this stuff. In this case, I have to say, it's a great song. I can sit here and listen to the whole 15 and a half minutes and go, I really enjoyed that. Every single time I don't get bored. It does have long passages where there's not a whole lot going on, but I'm drawn in. And a lot of that, I think, is Richie's playing. Um, probably some Tony Carey too, because the tones that he keeps going in the background to keep the song thick and, and interesting, I, I think also really help. But it's a lot of this song for me is Richie. I think there's a great vocal on here from Ronnie too. Cozy's playing a completely different style. You know, he doesn't use his toms quite as much as he does on this song. And I like that. It's nice hearing a little bit more uh, tonality coming from him. And, uh, you know, a lot of times he just uses them in, in the fillers and stuff. But like you listen to an album like Down to Earth or Slide It In, and he's barely using toms on the entire album. It's like kick, snare, hat or double kick, snare and hat. 
um, with a little bit of toms here and there, but not like rising where there was a lot. Of, he was using his whole kit through a good chunk of the album. So it's it's really a different style for him completely. But I think he does a great job on this song. Um, it, it, the whole thing just comes together in a very unique way. And I have to say, 15 and a half minutes is a lot to ask for people that aren't at the show. It is kind of a lot to ask for people that are at the show. Because if it's a song they don't like or if they don't want it to be mellow for that long, you know, you you either got to throw something in the middle that's going to energize them to keep them going or you need to keep it really interesting. And that is a long time to ask for anybody. So for me, sitting at home, not even being at the show with that show energy, I'm amazed at how much I actually like this version of the song. And then the vocal from Ronnie. I mean, that's just that's the sprinkles on the icing of the cake for me. Just so, so beautifully done. And I'm pretty sure Tony Carey is doing the backups on the keyboard. It might be a Mellotron. I'm not sure. But either way, it sounds really good. However, they're doing it because I don't I don't think it's Ronnie. I don't think they're using like, um, you know, a doubler or anything, although maybe they were. It's very possible. Um, Or they could have done that in post. I don't know. That might not have been going on as a show at all. That might have all been done after the fact. Uh, I don't know if they did overdubs for this album or not. Um, I know for Machine Head, Deep Purple didn't. I'm almost positive that Roger had said at one point that there were no overdubs for that album. They were just amazed at how good the tape sounded. Um, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I remember Roger saying that. Uh, But in any case, I don't know what happened with Rainbow on stage, whether they did any overdubs or not. But I will say uh, this sounds absolutely amazing. And... um, That brings us to, you know, if you're going to put six songs on the album, you definitely want one of them to be a cover song and you want it to be another slow bluesy song right after you've done a blues jam and then catch the rainbow. We now come to Mistreated. Now, I I should point out that this is 
another song where I kind of moved past the beginning. I got into the song a little bit since I only play about a minute or so. Um, you know, there's no reason to go into the two minute intro of the song and you're going to miss basically what the song's going to sound like. So I want to give you a little bit of sample of the actual song. A little harder to do with live albums because those intros can be really drawn out. Um, on the last one, I did a little bit of studio trickery. I had Ronnie introduce the song and then I moved it forward, but it was seamless sounding, at least as far as I know, it was seamless sounding. If you disagree, let me know if I'm a bad editor or not. Uh, I think I did okay on that though. Uh, this song is a great song and I, you know, I kind of feel bad because it was a song that when I got the Burn album and even listening to it on this, actually, I think I used to skip this song a lot. Now think about this. We've just come out after 15 and a half minutes of Catch the Rainbow now we're at 13 minutes of mistreated. That is an awful lot of blues to have back to back when you go to see a rock band. And again, I don't know the actual song order. These songs can be, can be completely out of order from the performance. I really don't know. Um, I never actually compared it to other you know albums or live sets or whatever. But just being given what we're given in the order that it's being presented to us as listeners at home. That is like 28 and a half minutes of blues music back to back. And we're here to see a rock band. You know, that's that's so much to ask of an audience. It really is. And for musicians, you think you'd want to break that up. You know, you'd want to do some more energetic stuff in between and then have something to kind of, you know, give you a little bit of a rest before you gear up to do the big finale of the show. Um, so putting these back to back, even from that logistical standpoint doesn't make a lot of sense. So I'm really hoping that this just wasn't the actual order of the songs, just the way that they put it on the record to to make it fit, or maybe it was an accident, or maybe they just pick songs at random. I don't know. Very weird to me, though, that it, that it would come out this way. That being said, uh, I wish I'd had the appreciation for Mistreated that I do now, because it is an amazing song, whether you're listening to the studio version with, with David Coverdale, or you're listening to the live version with Ronnie, or you're listening to the live version with Graham Bonnet. I mean, it is such an amazing song and such a, an emotional one and a powerful one for a good singer. And everybody that I've heard in those two bands, whether it be Purple or Rainbow, do this song has done a very respectful and phenomenal job. It is a great song for a rock singer. It's a great song for a good blues singer. Uh, and and the, the passion and energy in this is really amazing. Again, holds my interest for 13 minutes now that I appreciate the song more. I think it was just like, I, I was so drained after Catch the Rainbow. I'm like, all right, I'm going to skip the next one because I don't want another mellow song. Like I need to get my, my energy up. So I'm going to listen to something that's a little more upbeat and I would just jump to the next song. So nowadays, though, I, I just listen to it straight through because I think it's a it's a fantastic song. I have so much more appreciation for it. And uh, and I'm really glad I, it was it was cool that Richie knew that Ronnie could sing it, that this was one that they could do live and that they added to the set list. Because, I mean, at this point, they've only got a couple albums out and they don't have a whole lot of material to play. So they have to go with some covers. They have to fill it in somewhere or their songs would be 20 minutes each. And that would be really obnoxious. And we can't have that. So uh, so that's uh, mistreated, uh, an absolutely amazing version. Uh, Ronnie's definitely one of those singers who could sing this uh, at, at top notch level. No doubt about that. Uh, as we get to the last couple of songs on this double album, we now are at the point where we're pumping the energy back into the show and listening to 16th Century Greensleeves from Richie Blackmore's Rainbow.
Yeah, this is a great version. Uh, wonderful for Cozy, too. He's very energetic in this. Probably after playing all that blues, he's like, just give me something to do. Uh, <laughs> a lot of energy coming from him. Really love the organ on this song, too. In fact, this, this whole album, uh, I really like the tone that to Tony Carey is getting on this. Uh, the oscillating Leslie's are fantastic. Just the overall like that. It's not gritty distorted, but it's definitely got an edge to it. Um, I, I really like that. But yeah, this is a great energetic song. Definitely the pick me up that we need after the last couple of songs, great as they are. But man, we need some energy. So uh, this is this is a great one. You can hear Richie's about to kind of started already going off where I faded it out. Uh, a little bit norm longer of a clip than I would have normally played, but I wanted to get to that chorus and, and get through that. Um, great vocal from Ronnie too. You know, he's just one of those people that I've never heard him ever once deliver anything poorly. Not when I saw him live, not any live footage I've seen, obviously nothing in the studio, but just 100% consistent guy knew how to perform. And this is a, a great chance for him to really show up just like mistreated. I think that's, that's a song that a lot of singers just could not sing to that level. And I think Ronnie did a great job with that. But here's another one where he just he really brings it and, and it has a lot of energy and um, it's just a great song. And Richie is just on fire in this one, too, I think. And, uh, you know, as we're and, and that's uh, what a seven and a half minute version of, of a song that was, you know, not five minutes on Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Actually, I want to check that. Okay, so I double checked it and it is three minutes and 31 seconds. So that's a huge difference. That's a lot to add to a song to keep it going. Again, the difference between that live energy and and uh, the work in the studio. The studio is going to be played on the radio, songs that you know you're going to want to release like they did for that one. They're going to want to keep it a little bit shorter. Otherwise, the radio stations are either going to have to edit the hell out of it or not play it at all. So, you know, there's a, a whole nother strategy behind that part of songwriting. Uh, in this case, though, it's a great live version and uh, definitely one that is worth listening to uh, all seven and a half minutes of it. You know, it's it's definitely worth it. So our last song, man, this is a, a great song to end on, I have to say. At 11 minutes and one second, we have Still I'm Sad. I really love the original version that they recorded on Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, but I have to say this is another one that just takes it to a whole nother level. Completely different versions of the song. I, I, I wouldn't even be able to compare the two, to be honest. Uh, Cozy really uh, uh, beefs up 
what he plays in the song. There's no cowbell like there is in the original one. That's the whole drum pattern is based off cowbell. Um, and there's no vocals in the original. So there's vocals that we, we now have vocals and no cowbell. And that's fine. Uh, Ronnie does a great job singing this song. There is a fantastic couple of, of uh, changes in here. Uh, there's a part where it gets really mellow, where Richie is just kind of playing some little inflections of the main riff. Then there's a, a, a huge keyboard solo from Tony Carey, which is fantastic. And then it comes back to, uh, you know, Cozy and, and Richie bring the song back together. Well, Richie starts it and then Cozy comes in. Um, then they have a little almost march point towards the end uh, where Ronnie comes back. It's just a, a great version of the song. And it's hard to believe, honestly, that it's 11 minutes because by the time that you get done with your song, you're like, oh, that's probably like five, six minutes. Nope. It's 11 minutes. That's a hell of a journey you've been on. But that's what I mean. It really keeps my interest so much to the point where I don't even realize how much time has passed by. I've lost that perception completely because the song has just drawn me in. And uh, and I love it. It's also a, just a, a great song to listen to if you just want to hear something with some energy. You know, uh, it would be a good song to, to hear maybe in the morning. You know, if you're just trying to get up and start your day and then you just got Richie kicking in with this badass riff, Cozy just pounding on the drums. The snare is so prominent, too, uh, but it doesn't override anything else, which is what's amazing. Like that is a pretty loud snare for a live album. And yet everything's still in balance. I, I really like that. But yeah, actually, this episode turned out a little bit longer than I thought it would um, for six songs. I guess I had a lot more to say than I thought. But uh, great album, you know, absolutely fantastic album. Um, really, the, the interesting thing is that the only thing on here from Rising, which is their second album, was just that that uh, little part from uh, Starstruck. Everything else is either Deep Purple or Richie Blackmore's Rainbow or Long Live Rock and Roll, which wasn't out. So that's pretty interesting. Um, I don't know if maybe because of the particular songs that they picked, they I thought they were doing Stargazer. Maybe they hadn't started doing that live when this was done. Uh, I don't know. I know they had, they had started at one point because I've seen live versions of it. And I know that they used to do a light in the black right after and Cozy complained that that was a little too much to to do those songs back to back because they're both really epic marathons. And, and I could say as a drummer, I don't know that I would have been happy doing those songs back to back either. Uh, I get why they need it to be because they're a continuing story. But that, I mean, from a physicality standpoint, that would have been very difficult. That's a lot of stamina, especially with how hard Cozy hit and everything that he put into those two songs. So, yeah, great album. You know, if you're if you're going to check out a live album, I would say this would be a good one. Like I said, it's one of only two albums that I still listen to regularly. And uh, it's it's a very special album to me. I, it, I have to say part of that is that nostalgia. Even listening to Still I'm Sad, especially, um, I'm still picturing the, the tinsel hanging on the tree and, and all of that stuff that goes with that Christmas. So there is that element for me. And I realize that that is very, very strong. But I do love this album. It's one that I do listen to from time to time. And uh, just just fantastic performances from everybody on it. And I don't even think I mentioned who everybody is. On vocals, of course, we have Ronnie James Dio. On guitar, none other than Richie Blackmore. On bass, we have Jimmy Bain. Keys, we have Tony Carey. And drums, of course, the late, great Cozy Powell. Uh, all fantastic musicians. Uh, the only, like I said, the only complaint that I would have if I had to change anything, and it's what I said at the beginning of it, changed my mind. I would like a little more bass in it. When I do hear the bass, a lot of it doesn't have a lot of low end. 
So I'm I'm hearing more of a, a you know a, some more gain than I am bottom end. I think if they put b- more bottom end in the bass, that probably would have sounded a little bit better. But apart from that, the album is mixed very well. They got a great recording, and um, you know whatever songs each night was was from, uh, they they did a great job, or whatever night each song was from, I should say, uh, they did a great job putting the whole album together. So check it, check the whole thing out. You know, if you, if you want to check it out on streaming before you buy it, that's fine. I think that's a good place to kind of taste test things, but, you know, be respectful and supportive to the band, even if they're not around anymore, buy the damn album, check it out. I have the links in the show notes where you can get it on iTunes and Amazon. There are plenty of vinyl copies floating around. Um, I've seen them in the used record store. I've seen them on, you know, Discogs and eBay and stuff, but um, yeah, you can still get the LP. I think it it might've been reissued. There's no uh, deluxe edition of it that I've been able to find anywhere, just a remastered version of it. This is not the remastered version, so I'd be curious to see how much better that might sound. But honestly, I don't think a remastering, unless they just add a, a little bit of bass, is going to do a whole lot for this album because it sounds great as it is. Uh, I, I really wouldn't change anything else. So anyway, that's my thoughts. And we'll be back next week with another album review. Cheers, guys. <laughs>